0: Heavenly Father, as we turn to the Word of God that You breathed out, we ask for Your blessing. Come, Holy Spirit, help us to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest, and all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please be seated. Now turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 6 through 8, and we come this morning to a great text. It's one of the great texts of Scripture. You could take this out of context and move it somewhere else, and it would still make perfect sense. This is Paul's… Testimony. He's speaking on behalf of himself, what he believes, and what the effect of that belief is. He's speaking as a Christian, as someone who has come to put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and there are consequences, eternal consequences. So let's pick it up at verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. These are Paul's last words. The rest of the epistle are um, personal Instructions and 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 greetings, but this is uh, this is the peroration. This is the conclusion. As he contemplates his death, which may be weeks away and it may be months away, but one way or another, he is convinced by his reading of providence that emperor. Nero, this megalomaniac emperor, will take his life. And he wants Timothy, and he wants the folk in Ephesus, and he wants you and me to know that all is well. John Wesley said of eighteenth-century Methodists, Our people die well, he said. Our people die well. They die well because they know whom they have believed and are persuaded that He is able to keep that which is committed to Him against that day. That's what they know. They know who they are. They're Christians. They're the people of God. They know where they're going. As they cross the river to the other side, they know exactly where they're going. So, let's walk through this text together and the six things that he says. The first of which is, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, in ancient Greco-Roman culture, at the end of a meal, you would Um, pour out some wine uh, on the floor, on the ground, as an offering to the gods, the wine gods. I don't think that's what Paul is thinking about here. Paul is alluding to Numbers, Numbers 15. And in Numbers 15, the gist of it is that the offering is not complete, until the drink offering is offered. So, behind this idea lies the idea of completion. He's reaching the climax of his life. He had been given a charge as an apostle, to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and he had fulfilled that charge. And he had gone as far as Rome, and maybe as far as Spain, planting churches, preaching the Word of God. But now it's time for the drink offering because His work is complete. George Whitfield famously said that we are immortal until our work is done. And Paul has a sense that His work is done, that that which God had charged him to do, he had done to the best of his abilities. He had done what God had asked him to do. He had done it God's way. His song was not, I did it my way. I was going to sing it to you. If you do it your way, there is only ruin and despair and judgment and hell. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Secondly, the time of my departure has come. The time of my departure. And it has come. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after death the judgment." It's written on God's calendar. As God mapped out the course of events, all of it, in all of its details, there is a year and a month and a day and an hour and a minute, and a second, and it has your name on it. I don't know when that is. It may be fifty years from now, less for some of you than me, for sure. It may be today. You have no idea. You do not know. Sometimes, as in Paul's circumstances, and sometimes with chronic illness, you can almost predict it's going to be soon. The time of my departure is at hand. The Greek word is analusis, which contains the verb luo, to loose, or to untie. And it's the idea of a ship being untied from its moorings and set sail. I'm ready to sail. The time is nigh. I was in an airport yesterday, and I've seen it far too many times, delayed. (laughs) Estimated delay, three hours. There will be no delay for your departure, not in God's timing. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And you can sing with John Newton, "'Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace shall bring me home." The time of my departure has come. I want you to reckon on that today, whoever you are, however young you are, that that could be true of you today. And if it is true of you today, there must be consequences. as to whom you give your heart to, to whom you give your affection to, to whom you give your obedience to. Thirdly, he says, I have fought the good fight. And the Greek is the word agon, from which we get our word "agony." And it's not so much the fight, yes, it's that, but it's the struggle of the fight that Paul has in mind. It's not just a fight, but it's hard, and it's difficult. Paul at Lystra had been stoned to the point where they dragged him out and laid him at the side of the road as though he were dead. and you think you've got problems. Paul learned on his first missionary journey when he came back to Antioch, the sending church, he said, through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. It was like as though the apostle Paul had learned a life lesson that he may have known, but has now been set in concrete. That life can be hard and difficult. And Paul is saying, I have fought the good fight. This is a good fight. There's justice in this fight. This, in the words of Augustine, is a just war. It's war against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. It's a war against Satan. And John tells us that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, and He has enlisted you. Christian, He has enlisted you. We may honor Some individuals here this morning, veterans who have done yeoman's work on behalf of freedom and our country, and we honor you, but you are all veterans in God's war. I could ask you all to… I'm not going to do it, but I could ask you all to stand and be recognized that you are soldiers in God's army, in God's good fight equipped with gospel armor, the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the Spirit and the, and the helmet and the boots and, and all the other paraphernalia of military dress and gear. And can you say this morning, I have fought the good fight, I have finished well. He's not patting himself on the back. He's simply saying that he's, he's fulfilled the commission that God gave him to do, and he's done it. He didn't walk away. He didn't quit. He didn't throw in the towel. In ancient Greece, it was customary to talk about veterans having battled the battle. It's a phrase that occurs in ancient Greek (coughs) literature, they have battled the battle. And Paul may well be picking up that language here, I have battled the battle, I have fought the good fight. Oh, Christian, you are struggling this morning because of trials and problems and difficulties that have come into your life and they are weighing down upon you. And you feel as though you cannot go on, but you must go on. You cannot stop. You must call upon the Holy Spirit to fill you and strengthen you and equip you. To get up when you fall down and to move forward, put one foot in front of another. Calling upon the Spirit to empower you and equip you. That you might leave this service this morning having had fellowship face to face with Jesus Christ through these signs and emblems that point to Him. And the Spirit will lift you into His presence, into the presence of the Lord Jesus, that you might behold Him with your spiritual eyes and be strengthened by Him in the knowledge that He will never leave you nor forsake you, that having begun a good work, He will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I have fought the good fight. And then fourthly, He says, I have finished the race. I have finished the race. The Greek for race is dromos. And it means that He... He didn't quit. In 490 BC, a Greek drama, a Greek runner called uh, Pheidippides uh, was commissioned by a Greek general to go to Athens and to declare to the Athenian citizens that the Greeks, had been victorious over the Persians in the famous Battle of Marathon. And he ran the whole way. He ran along the coastal shore involving um, coastal foothills that he would have to climb. And he reached Athens and told them, rejoice, we conquer, and then fell down dead, according to tradition. The modern marathon race, 26-plus miles, is a modern invention in commemoration of Pheidippides from the inauguration of the modern Olympic Games in 1896. I I have finished the race. You've seen YouTube clips, no doubt, of runners in long-distance races, and they're coming into the stadium, and, and they can barely put one foot in front of another, and they look almost drunk, they're dehydrated, they're confused, and they collapse five, ten, fifteen yards from the finishing line, and sometimes somebody will come and pick them up and put their arms around their shoulders and drag them to the finishing line. And maybe that's how you feel. Help me get over the finishing line in one piece, without blotting Your name, Lord, because I feel so weak. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith And he's thinking here of the faith in terms of all that the faith demanded of him as a believer, as an apostle. He ran in the sense, following the theme of a runner, that he had run according to the rules. And Paul may well have in mind the idea that... In uh, ancient um, Greco-Roman uh, sports events, uh, athletes would swear an oath to obey the rules and not to cheat. And perhaps that's the background to what Paul is saying here. I I ran according to the rules. And then, sixthly, there is a crown of righteousness, a crown of righteousness. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Now this crown was already Paul's, just as this crown is already yours if you are a Christian this morning. It hangs above your head gloriously bejeweled. In Pilgrim's Progress Part 2, when Christiana um, is in the house of Interpreter, she is shown many things, and among the things that she is shown is a man with a muckrake, and his head is looking down, and he's gloomy, and he's, all he can see is the muck, and above him there's a crown of righteousness that He doesn't see because He's always looking down. We're always looking down, aren't we? We're looking at the trials. We're looking at the problems. We're looking at our country. We're looking at all this stuff that makes the headlines of news, and, and we look down. And not surprisingly, we get grumpy and angry. Christian, you must look up. You must look up and see what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. He has reckoned you to be the righteousness of God. God made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be reckoned the righteousness of God. If you're a Christian this morning, God looks at you and what does He see? He doesn't see your sin. He sees the blessed righteousness of His dear Son. That's what He sees. And sometimes the analogy is a robe of righteousness, and here the analogy is a crown of righteousness because you are royal, and you are winners, not through your own strength, not through your own doing. This is God's doing. That laurel wreath that was the gift given to winners of a race, that laurel wreath would be dead within a week. Its leaves will have turned brown. But this crown of righteousness never fades. It is eternal. And it's for all those who love His appearing. He's talking about you. Paul had you in mind. For all those who love His appearing. Now, Paul's sights are the day of judgment and the day of reckoning, and on that day I will be given a crown of righteousness. But I can be sure right now that that crown belongs to me. How? By faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. If you're not a believer here this morning, this table is not for you. This table isn't going to do anything for you. It's not going to save you. What you need is Jesus. What you need is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe you've been thinking about it for days and weeks and months, and some of you have been thinking about it for years. My dear friend, the day of your departure may be at hand. Every week I read out sympathies. We extend Christian sympathy to this person and that person and that person. A lady who sat right here just a week ago, and she is gone. A man who sat at the back just a couple of weeks ago, and he's gone. Today, while it is called today, you must reckon, you must reckon with God and what He offers you. And what He offers you is a crown of righteousness. What He offers you is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The payment price to get into heaven. Jesus told His disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. He believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house, uh, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Now, do you have that assurance? Do you have that assurance that if you died today. You're hoping, you're hoping that when you get home today, you'll see a big sign in the sky, delayed. But you won't, because you don't have any idea. And you need to be right with God. You need to have the assurance that the Apostle Paul has. This is not an assurance simply that apostles had. Every Christian has this assurance. Do you have it this morning? He offers it to you. Confess your need, confess your sin, ask Him to save you, and He will. Ask Him to make you a new creation in Jesus Christ, and He will. Ask Him to take away that stony, Adamic heart and to give you a new one. And that assurance, this precious, precious assurance will be yours, just as it is true for probably the vast majority of the people in here today. What glory! What joy! What blessedness to know this and to have this assurance, come what may. I'm safe in the arms of Jesus. Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this sweet assurance, gospel assurance. We pray that by the Holy Spirit You would speak to those who are still dead in their sins and have have never come to You in faith. And we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, You would draw them to Jesus Christ today. Now bless us as we come to the table and hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.